1: And thank you very much, and uh, welcome in on this Thursday afternoon. It's a hot one out there. I uh, stopped and got gas on the way in, and even though I was in the shade, it was like I was uh, feeding coal into an old locomotive's firebox. It is hot out there. We do have breaking news. Uh, Frank Colvette has dropped out of the mayor's race. He uh, says the field is too crowded. Now, this came as uh, quite a shock even to his campaign. Uh, There was a scheduled, according to our sources, a scheduled campaign fundraiser for him tonight at the Memphis Country Club. And uh, those folks were getting it all set up uh, tonight, and uh, it ain't going to happen. Memphis City Councilman Frank Colvett announced uh, today that he is dropping out of the race for mayor on the October Memphis ballot, saying the field is in the race without an incumbent is too large. My family and I have decided that we must come together as a city. The problems in Memphis are too big for us to work in silos. Colvett said in a statement issued by his campaign, we must all work together and march in the same direction towards a thriving and prosperous Memphis for all Memphis. The statement reads, there are also too many candidates and too many distractions at a time when we shall be working together. Colvett's announcement leaves a field of 18 contenders on the ballot at the Thursday noon deadline for candidates in the race. Uh, and the races for the 13 council seats also on the ballot. All this withdrawal comes after he had had his best fundraising quarter of the campaign raising $109,450 he was expected to raise a lot more tonight at the fundraiser. The two term city councilman did not indicate if he will endorse any of the remaining candidates. Uh, i talked to some other sources and I said, so what do you think the motivation here is? And I, they said, they think that, um, that the consensus is that Bonner is the best candidate uh, other than call vet if he drops out. And they would rather he be in it. He's more of a moderate than a lot of the other candidates. And so if he stays in, it'll split the vote, take votes away from Bonner. So quite possibly this was uh, his way, even though he's not come out and endorsed uh, Floyd Bonner, who is currently the sheriff of Shelby County, who I worked for when I was at, with the sheriff's department as the public information officer. And uh, I think the, the consensus is he's he's the guy, and uh, he's got the support, and I don't want to take any of the support away from him. I tried calling Frank, um, left him a message. Uh, he's not gotten back, uh, but uh, we'll keep you posted on that. But a uh, very significant uh, development in the race for the mayor, and uh, in fact, it was just today that uh, the sheriff's department announced a lot of promotions, including the, who the chief deputy is. Um, and uh, uh, which is what Floyd was under uh, Bill Oldham. Well, he was the chief deputy, then he ran for sheriff and won, and is serving in his second and final term now. So, um, uh, which may indicate that, uh, and I don't know exactly how that worked whether uh, uh, chief, was, chief deputy Butler would be taking his place uh, as a sheriff on an interim basis or whether they'd have to have a special election, exactly how that would uh, take place. Uh, but very interesting development here uh, this afternoon, so it, it appears to me, it, it, at least to anyone on the initial um, surface, that Floyd uh, Bonner will be the next mayor. So we'll sure hear more about it, and, uh, and we'll keep you posted. The other developing story is that uh, Germantown has given the all-clear for water. That means that uh, people can start flushing their homes. And uh, let's see, I've got a statement here. It says, alert from the city of Germantown. Uh, This came out at 3.06. All Germantown customers released to uh, flush and resume usage the city of Germantown and Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation have uh, concurred to allow water customers across Germantown to begin system flushing and resume consumption and normal use of water with the city system effective today, July 27th at 2 p.m. Customers should expect to see some sediment or discoloration from their taps as a result of the extensive flushing of the city water mains that has taken place over the past few days. Do not be alarmed. Sediment exists in all water systems and will settle as you are using returns to normal. Customers must flush lines to remove water that has been standing in interior pipes. Those who have not detected the smell of diesel in their homes may simply open the faucets and allow them to run for about five minutes. Those who detect an odor from the water during flushing or who have previously experienced an odor in the water in their homes should follow the more extensive process below or watch for a detailed explanation. Uh, this is the detailed uh, flushing. It's step one, open a couple of cold water taps and run for 15 minutes to clear the customer service line from the main line. Step two, open each cold tap one at a time and run each for five minutes to clean out specific lines. Then begin the nearest to where the water enters the building, usually is in the front of your house facing the street, and move toward the furthest uh, tap in the back of your house. Now repeat for the rest of the cold taps. Step three, repeat steps one and two but instead of running hot water through the taps to flush your water heater, fill a bathtub and drain twice. Step four, any dishes or clothing washed while the restriction was in place should be rewashed. Step five, water-using devices may require additional cleaning steps in addition to flushing, e.g. discarding the ice, which is what I recommend. If you got ice in a bin that was produced, you're not sure when, toss it. Uh, into the, your sink and let it melt, pour some hot water on it. You can do that while you're flushing your, your water and uh, let it build uh, another because whatever's in the line, it's going to make another batch of ice, and I would I would actually flush that one too after it fills up. Go buy a bag of ice somewhere until it all is done just to be sure. Uh, then it says that uh, consult the device manufacturer's maintenance instructions if residue, residual odor... Is detected in the water after the more extensive flushing process is complete. Please repeat the process a second time if the odor persists. Contact customer service at customer service germantown nit 10.gov. And then they got a phone number 757 uh, 7200. I've got a gentleman coming in here at 3.30 by the name of Tom Volenchak who is a water expert. He tests water, and uh, he's going to have some other recommendations for us on what to do, even if your water has no smell in it. Uh, uh, He's got some recommendations, and uh, so we'll hear what he has to say. That'll be at 3.30. But I guess the good news is that, uh, uh, that you can take a bath. You can wash your hands. You can brush your teeth again. Uh, it has been uh, a disaster, to say the very least. And um, they're now saying that th- that the spill or the leak it was maybe more of an accident in transferring fuel to the generator and that uh, the generator overflowed and this diesel fuel, fuel may have just uh, flowed out onto the ground and then seeped down through the ground to a crack in a pipe. I mean, it's like, uh, you know circuits of events if this all happened, but I'm sure they will get to the bottom of it. And well, I say that, (laughs) look at all the other investigations that take place. And uh, we think we're going to get to the bottom of it. And then all of a sudden, nope, don't know whose coke this is. (laughs) No fingerprints, no cameras, uh, nobody left on base. So, uh, but, uh, at least we're moving forward. And I think that's a positive thing. Uh, So the two big stories uh, breaking this afternoon is uh, Germantown residents can start flushing their systems and getting the water back into their homes and try to resume some life, except for the poor people that may be still without power. Uh, And I will look and see what the current uh, power situation is uh, during the break, uh, which we're going to take right now. And the other big news is uh, city councilman Frank Colvett has dropped out of the race for mayor saying it feels too crowded and the city needs to come together. And so that appears to be pitching the uh, baton to Floyd Bonner, who is the Democratic uh, candidate, one of a bunch uh, on the Democratic side, but probably the biggest name, although Willie Harrington's in there, I think well, it's part of the thought process uh, that might take votes away from Bonner and give it to uh, Willie and, there's a lot of people that don't want that to happen. They say we've been there and we've done that. As my good friend Mike Fleming used to say, we don't need to see King Harrington anymore. He called him King Willie. No more King Willie. All right, we're gonna take a break. I'll check out the uh, the MLGW map and find out what that situation looks like. So stay with us. We'll be back. <laughs> Uh, welcome back. Uh, busy day around here. Uh, there is, uh, this came in today, which really is, I heard about it less, late last night uh, with the song that's come out from Jason Aldean. His hit single, Try That in a Small Town, has reportedly edited to remove six seconds of video showing Black Lives Matter protest, according to the Washington Post. I'd heard this and I said, well, who edited it out? Well, as it turns out, The scene was the property of Fox 5 Atlanta, and that's where the video came from. And Fox 5 Atlanta had requested a copy of the song lyrics prior to granting permission to use the clip, but they say they did not receive them before the video was released. And so TMZ is reporting that Fox issued a polite ultimatum to cut the clip from the video last week to avoid legal action, which is called a cease and desist, which the production company didn't comply with. Despite the controversy surrounding it, the song has become wildly popular since it's being released, climbing the Billboard Hot 100 chart to hit number two spot and racking up more than 19 million views on YouTube. So basically, it's the same video that just had to cut out a little clip of Black Lives Matter protesters that was the property of Channel 5, Fox, and Atlanta. So, uh, which is what you have to do. That all that video that belongs to the station shoot, you can't use it. It's like, you know, when they talk about the NFL, the Major League Baseball, NBA, this video and all the properties around it or the property of this uh, broadcast and the NBA, or the NFL, and you can't use it. So there you are. They could get out and make some homemade signs that say Black Lives Matter protest and reshoot it. You can do that, but you just can't use some news outfit's video if uh, you do not have express written permission. Uh, If you're a Memphian who loves cycling, you're unfortunately one of the brave few. In a comprehensive study by real estate site Clever, measuring everything from the number of bike rental shops to air quality and temperature, Memphis is ranked dead last out of 50 cities evaluated, earning the title of the least bike-friendly city in the nation. I find that really difficult to believe. We've got one of the longest uh, green uh, lines in the country. Uh, I see people, I live in Collierville. I see people riding bikes in huge groups in Collierville and in Germantown and Midtown. And I've seen it for years. Um, Memphis dropped four spots since last year's study, replacing Dallas as the lowest ranking city, thanks to the end of the ban on rental bikes in late May. Though Memphis has a few notable biking walking trails like the Green Line, Wolf River Greenway, and trails in Shelby Farms, Shelby Forest, Nesbitt Park, Gordon Park. All that put together it still results in 78% less trail space than the average city. I don't believe that either. In fact, I'm not believing any of that. Uh, anybody, you know, it's all those things. That, what's the best pizza joint? What's the best hamburger? What's the best barbecue place in the country? It's also subjective. And uh, anybody can say whatever they want. And so, uh, like this, we ask AI about the best Memphis restaurants and barbecue. Here's what we learned. Uh, This is Jennifer Chandler in the Memphis Commercial Appeal. says, artificial intelligence is going to take over my job as a food and restaurant reporter. I sure hope not. I hope not either. I like Jennifer. I've been hearing a lot lately about the advances of AI and how it could uh, one day replace humans. So I decided on my own to investigate journalism and see what... ChatGPT had to say about Memphis restaurants and our world-famous barbecue. started with the question, what are the 10 best restaurants in Memphis, Tennessee? Uh, The ChatGPT responded with this list, and a disclaimer that the data has not been updated since September 2021. Uh, The Capitol Grill, number one, Upscale Steakhouse. Number two, Gus's World-Famous Fried Chicken. Number three, Flight Restaurant Downtown. Number four, Central Barbecue. Number five, Restaurant Iris. Number six, Hog and Hominy. Seven, Folks Folly. Eight, Babalu Tacos. Number nine, uh, the Beauty Shop down there at Cooper and & Young. And Andrew Michael Italian Kitchen, rounding it out. It's a decent list, but missing several of Memphis' top-rated restaurants. I certainly agree with that. Um, and not only that, it can make stuff up entirely. There they, they was some lawyer use ai in a case he was uh, trying and it turns out that what he thought were facts because he used this chat gpt and it just made stuff up and it, 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 you have to be able to back up anything what's the president for this claim you're making and the judge said did you not check any of this stuff well i thought uh i thought G- chat gpt was always correct yeah well big news flash for you pal it ain't um uh, and this, going back to, uh, I do want to repeat, too, Frank Calvet, uh, councilman, Frank Calvet, a Republican, uh, announced this afternoon uh, that he was dropping out of the race for mayor. Uh, he was to have a, a uh, fundraiser tonight at the Memphis Country Club. That has been called off. Uh, much to the surprise of his, uh, the organizers, they didn't have any idea he was going to drop out. Uh, Frank came out and said he and his family decided that we need to do as much as we can to pull the community together, all be heading in the right direction. And that uh, I've talked to other people that say that uh, he felt like that uh, it would divide the vote and would give some other people in the race um, more of a chance at not only defeating Frank, but defeating uh, uh, Floyd Bonner, who's pretty much the lead candidate on the Democratic side. And they all decided they'd rather see him get in than some of the other candidates. And so the prudent thing to do would be get out of the race. Uh, I've got a call into Frank to see if... uh, exactly what the reasoning was, but uh, he has not called back yet. And uh, the other big news is Germantown is back in the water business. Uh, We've got a gentleman coming in here for the next segment at 3.30, 3.36, and uh, we're going to be talking about some other things you might want to consider doing. In the meantime, uh, the other good news is uh, the outage map for MLGW is there's only 67 customers in the entire MLGW coverage area that don't have power which could be any day of the year. There's 67 people out for a variety of reasons. So that's uh, tremendous because some of these poor folks in Germantown didn't have power, didn't have water. Uh, you know, it's been pretty much camping out for the last eight days. And so uh, maybe the world is coming back. And I and, uh, was talking to a lady at uh, – we'll drop by. Southern security federal credit union this morning. And uh, I was talking to my friends there and she was saying, man, I will not be sorry to see this summer behind us. And I said, I think everybody is um, of the same feeling. And it comes to that. We, it's hot. It's going to be hot. it's the long forecast the next 10 days, and we got one day, I think coming up maybe tomorrow or Saturday it's going to reach actual real up of a hundred. And it's, it's, plenty hot out there today i think i just checked my uh phone and it, oh my phone's in there uh 96 is what the temp is right now probably closer to 100 feels like temp but uh hey hot's hot you know i was uh stopped at costco to get some gas on the way in i heard the guy that stands out there to make sure everybody can gets everything working right and they were asking him is it hot out here And he goes yeah he said you know it's been hotter and we do have a breeze, but even in the shade, it's just like uh, hot air blowing on you. So uh, keep that in mind and hydrate now that you can drink water again. And Gatorade really are some of those sports drinks because that gets your electrolytes all leveled out. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. So stay with us.
0: To the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: And thank you very much and welcome back. Uh, Joining me in studio right now is Tom Valencheck. Uh, He has a company called Water is the New Gold. How apropos is that? Uh, And gold was rare for Germantown residents for the last eight days. just today, they've been given the green light to start filtering their water, and that began uh, about 2 o'clock this afternoon with the finally get the green light. Uh, Tom has been monitoring this whole situation, and I had a friend that knew of Tom. He's also got a book out called Open Tap, Drink Poison, Let's Fix It. Uh, it's just come out, and get it on Amazon. Amazon right now. And I'm um, going to hold this up to the camera so you can see the cover. Uh, t- welcome to the show, Tom, and thanks for coming in on such short notice.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, that's what everybody's asking now is, okay, You know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. They say it's okay to drink the water. Is it okay to drink the water now? In
2: my professional opinion, if I lived in Germantown, I would not drink the water without a carbon filter.
1: And so uh, where do you get a carbon filter?
2: You know, any... Uh, DIY store, Target. There's You can buy them on, online. Uh, there's a wide array of these filters, and one is not any better than the other. They all use activated carbon that's made out of crushed coconut shells. Okay. And um, it gives you a fail-safe against a lot of chemicals, pesticides, mainly organic chemicals, and, and of course, uh, diesel. solvents, diesel fuels are yeah. organic. So it's very good at pulling that out are they expensive no you could probably find a unit as low as 15 20 bucks
1: and then you just took it up to the, the the portal on your faucet like in the kitchen
2: yeah they and, and it depends there's a lot of different products that get you know some are more mechanically advantageous that they can go right onto your faucet and some of them require a installation under the sink and, of course, if you have a refrigerator filter, that's activated carbon. You really don't need to buy anything. Just change that filter more That's often. what I was
1: going to ask, because I know we were discussing that yesterday. I, we've all got those filters at the bottom of our refrigerator. My problem is I can get down there. I just can't get back up.
2: <laughs> well, you got to buy a new refrigerator <laughs> that got one up high, and it just pops out.
1: Yeah, as so. I said, hey, we got some old dudes out there. we got to put it up higher. So. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, uh, Change out the filter in your refrigerator. What about the ice maker? Uh, should. Today I told them to the need to dump the ice that's in the bin that's already been made because you don't know when it was made, really.
2: It, it depends on if your ice uh, maker goes through your filter. Okay, so if it, most most refrigerators, they take the water after the filter.
1: So that would have been filtered even yes. with the the diesel in the water. Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, bathing, do they need to have a filter to, to bathe? Because I know where I worked in the oil field growing up in high school and college, and I'd be covered with oil when I get home Yeah, and I'd hose off in the backyard get in and take a shower and use that pink stuff to get it all yeah. off. And I'm still here. So, uh, but I never drink any of it.
2: So, you know, this is a, uh, being, being a water expert, I try to, uh, only tiptoe into medical issues. Um, I would tell you for a shower, um, you can buy a shower filter very inexpensively, okay. and now they even have them if you have fancy brass fixtures to match your. Finish oh wow! So okay. the wife doesn't get mad that you got this ugly you've, plastic. You've bag ruined
1: there. the look of the shower. Yeah.
2: So um, as far as taking a bath, you you have a, a you know a caveat emptor kind of situation. Personally, I wouldn't I wouldn't bathe in anything that wasn't Filtered by a with the carbon
1: filter. Okay, and uh, the people that could smell it in their homes are are they really any better off or worse off than the people that didn't smell it in their homes?
2: They absolutely are. Um, sometimes we um, don't understand the um, advantage of common sense in, in our forced, in, in our mm-hmm. and our uh, force and our six senses. And smell and taste are very good indicators if something's poison. And uh, in my case, uh, if I had my ex-mother-in-law's food, but that's a different issue altogether. <laughs> so, you know, if you're smelling it, it, it has to be of a contamination level to that it's evaporating and, and going into the air that you can smell it.
1: Mm-hmm the And the instructions they're giving out to Germantown residents, which I read earlier, one of the things that said that there could be some discoloration, some sediment in the water as you start the, um, flushing it out of your pipes in your house uh, they said that's not to be concerning because that well, they've been flushing all these um, uh, fire department uh hydrants and just all these pipes and and some of them hadn't had anything moving through them for eight days yeah and so what is your take on that
2: well that's a very, very good question, and it has some important implications. Um, you, you mentioned taking a bath to get diesel fuel off of you. Right. So if, if you think about what a water pipe network looks like, there's valves, there's fittings, mm-hmm. there's 8-inch pipes, there's 1-inch pipes, there's uh, high, highly used pipes, and there's remote pipes. So when you go to a flush not all of that network is flushing, and 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 it's not flushing at the same rate. Uh, all these valves, fittings, pumps, T's, connections, they're all locations where the diesel can settle. And it can settle, and you can have an undetected test, and here comes a bolus of air, and three minutes later, that stuff's distributed into your pipe. So... Uh, the, the first issue is that a negative test doesn't mean that you're safe. It only means at that particular time nothing was passing. Okay. Um, and the other thing, as far as this sediment goes, uh, you know, there's a, a, a sneaky, uh, there's a snake in the wood pile here that uh, nobody's talking about. And if you ever look at the inside of old discontinued pipes, uh, your, your, uh, when you throw away your hot water tank, there's scale inside of there yes, and then scales a good thing. well, not sediment okay sediments dirt and mud and whatnot. but this is calcium scale okay And although we have a, a pretty soft water, there's still you know uh, what they call about three grains of hardness of calcium. so there is there is a scale buildup. Well that scale is a porous substance and it will absorb contaminants and later on, slough them back off into the water. So I would agree with the uh, water authority that, you know, don't worry about this sediment, throw it away, I suppose, you know, cast it off after you rinse. But there's implications. That sediment likely has absorbed uh, the diesel fuel. And along the way, bumping up against the walls of the pipes and fittings and connections and turns and joints, it redistributed it.
1: What about the sediment in the bottom of the water heaters? Because I know a drain on a water heater is up above the bottom. It's not exactly at the very base of the water heater. That means even when you you could flush out your water heater, run all the water, the hot water out of there. That didn't mean you got to the very bottom.
2: You should be a scientist. That's absolutely true. That's that's a principle of water filtration and uh, backwashing filters. You know, a lot lot of filters in industry and medicine. Uh, get backwashed during the during the day and great care has to be taken in what you're backwashing it with and what is what is residual so absolutely if you've sent diesel into your hot water tank just as uh, in these fittings and connections and pipes uh, some of it's going to linger there
1: well, so what do you do with that do you just keep flushing it or is, does that require a new water heater
2: well you know, I hearken back to the very beginning of this uh, debacle, uh, debacle, however you say that word. I Disaster. Always, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the experts themselves couldn't tell anybody how long it would take to mm-hmm. rinse out. And a lot of citizens were upset about that, rightly so. You know, and I, I heard from a lot of folks, they're, they're not telling us anything. Well, they're not telling you anything because they, they don't, don't know. know. Yeah. They, they don't know.
1: And they didn't want to lie. They're not going to make up something yeah. just to give you an answer. I had a member of the alderman on earlier in the week, and, and people are rightfully very upset. And uh, he didn't have all the answers, and they're going, well, "You're an elected official. You should have the answers."
2: A- absolutely. And you know, this is I- I'm not a red flag kind of guy, but I I've um, I I started in the water business. Uh, a doctor hired me to fix a water system in a dialysis unit that was contaminated. And literally, the patient's lives depended on this. Sure. And, and I, I learned very early on that if you do something with water and you provide a solution, you damn well better tell the recipient, I've just given you a 100% guarantee that you won't have this problem again. And, and on this issue, because no expert can give you a guarantee that this water is going to be safe uh you you have to have a carbon filter you have to have some protection you have to take some responsibility yourself i I'm gonna blab blab on here a little bit but you know we we bring in the EPA and the EPA they're not a bunch of geniuses <laughs> and you know not long ago they they dumped 3 million gallons of chromate into the Animas River, which is a Colorado River tributary.
1: And then that. they
2: tell you, well, everything's okay, you got the go-ahead. They're a monitoring institution. They, they set standards, and certainly if they take a sample, they can monitor and say this is okay. In a water tank, in industry, that's fine because you have a single source. But there's 40,000 people who live in Germantown who have multiple outlets and there's restaurants and there's businesses and and doctors, there's clinics, there's all kind of stuff with hundreds of thousands of outlets. And you're going to tell me you can guarantee that every one of those outlets is not going to have some diesel fuel? That's a bunch of malarkey.
1: And uh, carbon filters are the answer, as far as you're concerned. It's
2: the best answer we have. Carbon filters are an absolute monster at taking out things like diesel fuel and gasoline and oils.
1: We're talking with uh, Tom Balancheck. He has a company called Water. The is the new gold, and uh, his offices are right here in East Memphis. Right? That's it. I yeah. work out of my house. There you go, man after my own heart. I did my show out of my house for two years before yeah. the pandemic. Uh, we're going to take a break. we come back, I'm going to go down the list of the things that the city of Germantown is asking that you do in the way you flush your house, and we're going to get Tom to comment on them and tell us, yeah, that's good or that's um, nah, that ain't going to do any good. So we'll talk about that when we come back. So stay with us. And welcome back on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, the good news is that uh, Germantown has uh, said You've got the all clear of everybody in Germantown. At first, they were talking about just one area uh, other than the part that had been given the go-ahead to start using water east of Forest Hill Irene. That was a couple of days ago. But now it's everybody. And there's we have Tom Belinchik. You got it. Uh, who has a company called Water is the New Gold right here in Memphis. Uh, he's a water expert. And we've been talking about what you need to know. So I'm going to go over the list of uh, the things that uh, they're saying to do to clear your pipes. Number one thing is he does advise everybody use a carbon filter for your faucet to so replace you your drinking water or bathing water. You can get it for your shower. You can get it for your, uh, your faucet in your kitchen and your bathrooms. Uh, your, your refrigerator, if you have an ice maker, it has a filter built in yeah, uh, but you probably should change that filter right?
2: yeah, i I would change it off the bat and then you know every quarter maybe change it as opposed to letting it go a year. So
1: here's what they're saying to do. Uh, this is the clearing and the flushing. Step one, open a couple of cold water taps and run for fifteen minutes to clear. Now these are the people that have smelled uh, diesel. If you haven't, they say just five minutes is yeah. enough. Do you agree with the five and the fifteen?
2: Uh, I, I have two disagreements. Just because you smelled it at one time doesn't mean you're going to smell it at another time. You may get downflow from somebody else's pipe, a burst of air, release some stuff. Um, two faucets is okay for the general flushing of uh, the water tower, so to speak. But if you have, I don't know, 15 outlets in your house, well, they say open up... They-
1: a- yeah, they say to go on, they start with two closest to. Oh, so two. they don't
2: blow everybody's water pressure. That
1: and yeah. also your own house. Uh, start with two on the closest to the street because that's where the water comes from is the pipe down the middle of the street in most cases. Yeah. And then um, open a couple of cold water tabs and run for 15 minutes to clear the customer service line from the main. Step two, open each cold tab one at a time. And run that for five minutes to clean the specific line. Begin nearest where the water enters the building and move toward the furthest tap. Repeat for the rest of the cold taps. Step three, repeat steps one and two. But instead of running hot water through the taps to flush your water heater, fill a bathtub and just drain it twice. you agree with that? It- I,
2: I think that's good protocol. But at the same time, that's not going to guarantee that that is Hot water tank, all the sediment in the tank and the bottom is clear.
1: So that there again, and you can get a carbon filter for your bathtub or your shower head?
2: The shower head you can. I've not seen them for the bath- you know, – there's so many different nozzles. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't seen one for the bathtub.
1: Well, uh, I haven't bat- taken a bath in years. I'm too big for a bathtub, so <laughs> showers shower is my deal.
2: Although I will say if you investigate, somebody may somebody have a have. bathtub uh, – Unit Carbon. as well.
1: Okay. Um, to flush your water heater, fill a bathtub, and drain twice. Step four, any dishes or clothing washed while the restriction was in place should be rewashed. That with? makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, step five, water-using devices may require additional cleaning steps in addition to uh, flushing, e.g. discarding ice, which I I, said I agreed with. You dump yes. the ice that's in your bin now. Um, and consult the device manufacturer maintenance instructions if residual odor is detected in the water after this more extensive flushing process is complete. Please repeat the process a second time if the odor persists. But what you're saying, Tom, is that, uh, they may smell, not smell it for a couple of weeks and then a, uh, maybe months, but there one day they can turn on the faucet. They might smell it just because of somebody banging up against the pipe or. or absolutely you said, true. Yeah,
2: absolutely true.
1: So that's why you want to get carbon filters for anything that you're going to be bathing in, uh, brushing your teeth, uh, anything like that. Uh, it, just a precaution. And probably uh, people living in Collierville and Memphis should as well just because even though they don't have a problem now, that doesn't mean there's not a problem.
2: Yeah, You know, and that's a sensitive issue. It's kind of uh, the topic of my book and that we, we open the tap and everything's fine and we don't think about water but then there's a problem and we scramble what the heck are we gonna do and and we're at that time you know uh... last year seventy five million americans drank poison water and a thousand municipalities didn't meet the EPA safe drinking water
1: act the name of his book is open tap drink poison let's fix it you can get it on amazon and the his company is Water is the New Gold. If you got any questions, so look him up. He's available. He'll answer your questions. Tom, thank you, sir.
2: Thank you for having
1: me. You bet. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. I do want to say again, uh, thank you very much for Tom Valencheck uh, for coming in. His book, uh, On Water, is called Open Tap, Drink Poison, Let's Fix It. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and every place else. Just Google it. Uh, but very knowledgeable, and uh, we all need to learn more about water. Uh, got a guest in the studio right now. I've known him since he was a little kid, Houston Hughes. And, uh, he is now a, uh, up man. He's written a book, which I think is fascinating, but he does a lot of other things I think are pretty fascinating. He's a, he's a poet. Uh, he's, uh, he's an entertainer. He's a teacher. And he's written this book on math that I think is absolutely fascinating. My wife told me about it because your mom, Marcia and your, and your dad are very good friends of ours. And it, how did you come up with the idea, first of all, because it's a way of teaching math totally different than, than the really existed before?
3: Yeah, so I, um, ha- I started doing poetry, performance poetry, in college and um, kind of rose up in the ranks through slam poetry and at a certain point started combining it with other art forms. Um, so some of it was with dance, some of it was with... Um, magic right i I started trying to find anything that i could to combine performance poetry with and also combine my writing with um and i'd always had a love for science and math uh i i always wanted to be an astronomer as a kid and just i remember
1: going out to the golf course with your telescope and look at the stars
3: yeah yeah and that that didn't quite pan out but um did end up being a writer and then was able to to pull that into projects that i did so one of uh i I did this variety show every month called last Saturday and, um, happened to be a U of a professor, uh, mathematics professor, Edmund Harris came to a few of the last Saturday variety shows, really liked them. He then had me come in and teach some of his graduate students public speaking so they could go and do, uh, talks at conferences, things like that. Um, and so, uh, we did a couple of smaller collaborations. We did some stuff at crystal bridges museum, um, and then at one point he came to me and said, hey, I've had this idea for a while now. I have this meditation that I do with a lot of my math students that is meant to help them visualize numbers better. And so this is a thing that he does at the beginning of some of – and he's not teaching low-level math, right? He's, he's teaching um, graduate-level or post-grad-level math. Um, but one of the first things that he does with some of his students is have them close their eyes and actually try and see – How many numbers they can hold in their head distinctly before you start to group them up into, you know, this is one big cluster of 10 or this is one big cluster of 20 or whatever. How many can you actually like hold in your brain visually and move around and work
1: with? So this is in other words, if you're looking at a chalkboard and they've got a number of just independent numbers up there, how could you look at it, close your eyes and still see them in your mind
3: Right, right, and not not the representation of the numbers and digits, just like a point or a dot or a circle or a star or whatever it is. How many objects, ind- objects can you hold in your brain before your brain is like, nope, I'm done, I've, I'm <laughs> clumping this into, into one? And so we tried a few different interpretations of that, but finally the one that he hit on— was the idea of turning it into a kid's book and doing this specifically because he felt like, and and now that I have read all the research and everything, I I also feel like um, children a lot of times, the way that they learn how to count is they learn to memorize the words one, two, three, four, in that order. Almost like how you, you know, you memorize Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, right? And so then you put a number of things in front of them and they just kind of touch it mentally, go through their list and stop at that list point. But that doesn't mean they have a conceptual understanding of those numbers. Right. Um, And so there is this big movement to teach children as early as possible how to visualize numbers and how to start working with those visualizations. Right. How to how to take three of a thing and two of a thing and kind of put them together and see that you have five and then pull them off and have two and two and one and move them around. Because once you're doing that, division becomes much easier to understand. Multiplication becomes much easier to understand because it's no longer I have this symbol that represents five on the page and this symbol that represents three. How do I multiply them together? It's like, okay, in my brain, I can see five of these things. So what happens if I duplicate that and then duplicate that again. Okay, I see now I have three groups of five, and I can regroup that into a tens and a five and and see that.
1: Which, when you stop and think about it, how much sense it makes, it, what you're really doing is is uh, not counting. You're visualizing objects, as you said a minute ago, and the you know, two groups of five is ten. You don't have to count them. And uh, uh, I think it's fascinating. So when you wrote the book... How, did, how do you begin the book uh, to start them off with it? Um, are you asking for for the actual text of the beginning or yeah. like how
3: we started the process? Well, the
1: process, cause it, it, I don't know, they yeah. could have been two totally different things.
3: Yeah, the, the process really started. Um, he just kind of shot me this idea. He shot me the counting meditation and he pitched me on this idea. And it was actually uh, myself and one other poet who's a dear friend of mine. And, and he gave it to both of us and said, I want to turn this into a kid's book go off and just kind of write the first little bit of what what you think it would be uh, and and get it back to me. Um, Not as a competition, but just as a kind of like, can we make anything of this? Uh, And my my friend, who I love dearly, came back with uh, maybe, I don't know, 60 or 70 words, and I came back with just pages and pages (laughs) and pages, and I was like, I am so ready for this. I have prepared for this. Uh, And just... It struck me this idea of doing it in a kind of Dr. Seuss style, obviously not trying to copy him, but with homage to, with mm-hmm. an understanding that he is one of the giants on whose shoulders I stand, um, and the idea of, of trying to marry a tone and a story that are appealing to these concepts. And from there, um, I, I did a lot of my own research on this to get a basic level understanding, because Edmund understands he understands it at the, at the way extra tippy top level, but that's not the level that we the need to teach The teaching level, yeah, the very basic. So, right, so I would go and research what we needed to know for one, what we needed to know for two, and we kind of, we started with a list of all the different numbers and would say, okay, with two, we teach um, what it means to be even. We teach, um, you know, the, the fact that they can move back and forth from each other, but that doesn't really create a third dimension, right? You, you, we go through each number and say, here are the concepts that you introduced the first time you get to this number. Uh, and then from there, it was a matter of turning that into the rhyme and meter for the book uh, and, and explaining it in a way that hopefully kids will be able to understand, and not just understand, but but feel excited about. And want to know more. Right, and, and the book is all about play. The whole point of getting these visualizations in your head is once they're there, you can do anything with them, right? Um, we invite this this movement around the space and moving things away from and back into each other and breaking apart your numbers and throwing them back together and all of this. And so the hope is that people can, can get excited to play with numbers and as a result be less intimidated by math and have a, a better basic level understanding of it.
1: Well, and it's uh, because the first time I remember, it was the first grade, I went to uh, it was the school. My elementary school was a block away. Walked down there, went to the morning class, and it was time for lunch. They said, all right, we're all lined up, going to go to lunch. They all walked out on the little breezeway, and they all went to the lunchroom, and I had my big chief tablet and my pencil. I said, I've seen enough. I'm going home, and I, <laughs> I walked home. And it was like, if, I, if it's so important, I think, too, is they have really engaging teachers in the first grade. And in those days, I remember my teacher was Miss Lyon. She was about 70 years old, and she was tired. And uh, <laughs> that's the last person you need to be teaching little kids. You need somebody that gets them going, guess what we're going to do today, you know, and excite them. I'm really fascinated by this. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and uh, we're going to get more into how they actually started putting the book together. And, and what did your professor think when you first started telling him your ideas? So we'll talk about that when we come back. So stay with us. And welcome back on a Thursday hot afternoon. Houston Hughes is with me. He's a young man that is uh, very talented. He does all kinds of stuff. A, I remember when he first got into poetry and slam poetry, and I saw how that worked. I'm going... You know, because I've been doing stuff on television for years, but I mean, I I could never make anything rhyme. I, even back in you know, you had to make these little poems when you were in grade school and stuff. And <laughs> Hickory Dickory Dock, you know, <laughs> and I couldn't even do that. And uh, but some people just have a penchant for that. It, were you always fascinated with poetry and writing?
3: Um, I I always loved writing. I always loved creative writing for sure. And uh, I always loved speaking in front of people for sure. As uh, As early as grade school, like second, third grade, I would go read encyclopedia articles about space stuff, and then I would ask my teacher permission at the end of class if we had extra time to stand up in front of the (laughs) class and tell them about whatever I just read about. So I I, I always loved that, but with poetry, I did not have a lot of luck, and in fact, English in general, I didn't have a lot of luck with, um, in in part because of the way our education system was and, and still is in many ways structured, which was... Uh, it rewarded people who memorized things much more than it rewarded people who sort of Creative. understood things conceptually. Right?
1: And in, in a different way. Yeah. In, in fact, it's the smarter people that really come in and sit there and go, this is, I don't understand what you're even talking about here. And it's because they're thinking on a whole different level. And whereas the other people come in, and, oh, I just got to memorize this stuff. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Right. And you're trying to actually figure it out. Yeah,
3: yeah, Absolutely.
1: And, uh, which I think is I had an English professor told me, she said, you should write for television. I said, and it's after I turned in an essay, she, I said, like, for what? Gunsmoke or something? She goes, no, you're a very creative writer. And it's, and it really was about telling a story. And, uh, I think that's where you, you, you excel at. And every time you get up on stage and start telling a story, I mean, some people just can't tell a story. I mean, you ever know somebody, they, they tell you a joke and you said, they go, it's just not funny, man. Yeah.
3: Yep. Or a whole lot of people who you ask them a question and they answer everything but the question. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you sit there, did you even understand the question? Uh, but to be able to do this, and you also, you also work on a documentary right now?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have this YouTube channel, Arkansas, which is Arkansas politics, civics, and history, um, where I try and go in and give a nonpartisan, very base level explanation of things happening in my, my home state, Arkansas. And that started as, as I would go into the ballots every year and explain the ballot issues, right, the initiatives and in referenda in a very, here's here's the ground level understanding of what this does. Let's go through the text and actually show you what each part of this is. And then let me present the strongest arguments both for and against this. And then go vote. Please go vote. Remember, this is the kind of thing where you can really make a difference. It doesn't matter if you think the president's already decided. It doesn't matter if you think the House and the Senate already decided. This is the kind of stuff you can really make a difference on. So that's how the channel started and did a bunch of one-shot episodes with that, did some stuff in between to um, to have extra content of just like, how does Arkansas basic government work? How, how do you get this thing done in city council? That kind of stuff. Uh, and then over covid I had the chance to dive into larger projects. And um, one of the things I'd had, you know, I keep a running list of like, oh, here are interesting stories out of Arkansas that I should follow up on at some point. And uh, so I started to follow up on one, which is about the city of Harrison, Arkansas. Have you ever heard of Harrison, Arkansas? I think I have. What What do you know of it or what have you heard about it? Uh,
1: I just, you know, it's like a, Places I've been like Fordyce and and we're, place where Johnny Cash grew up and and Bear Bryant was born in Arkansas and and so I've heard of these I can't remember what it was I actually heard about it but I have heard of Harrison Arkansas.
3: So Harrison uh, has a reputation as a racist town and if you look up in quotes on Google most racist town in America the first thing that comes up and Harrison the first Arkansas. fifteen out of the first twenty results are Harrison Arkansas. And so, you know, the idea for the episode was just to get into, like, what caused this? Where did yeah. this come from? And I knew some of the basics of the story, um, I, which, which the broad strokes that kind of everyone knows, quote unquote, is that Harrison did expel all of its black citizens in the 1910s, um, and Harrison currently is home, kind of, to someone who claims to be the head of the clan. Now, you, you heard a lot of words where I couch things there, yeah. and that's because I don't want to make inaccurate statements because the first thing that you learn when you look into this is there weren't just one racial expulsion. There was two, and then there was an expulsion of liberals during a railroad strike. Um, but then also, who is in charge of the Klan currently is is not a, a, an answerable question because the Klan doesn't exist as a single identity. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I can get into that and kind of trace the history of the town. And the more I went into it, the more incredible details there were. Um, And one of the things I ran across was uh, how the people in Harrison have responded to this, because that's a lot of the story here, right? When you're in a town that gains that reputation, it clouds the interactions that you have with people from other places. Oh, you're from Harrison. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it clouds the way people come in and try to tell your story, because people either come in, and they've already got in their brains, oh, I'm going to show how racist this town is. Or they have in their brains, oh, I'm going to come in and show that all of this racist stuff is nonsense. People come in, and I wanted to find the place in between of, like, where where is the reality here and where is what media has created? Not just now, but, but since, back, yeah. Yeah, since the Civil War, essentially. And so that's led to some really incredible places that tie in not just to the city, but to the state of Arkansas and the South in general, because the South has a reputation. The South has a reputation of being the place where we put our racists, where we put our ignorant people. And then you ask the South, well, where do you put those? And they say Arkansas and Mississippi. (laughs) And then you go to those places in each of those states. You go to Arkansas and you say, well, where are all the races? And they say, go to Harrison. But the fact that we keep doing this is a way to not deal with our own issues it's it's the you know take care of the the moat in my yeah. neighbor's eye before i deal yeah. with the log in mine
1: i'll tell you where the real problem is is down the street it's yeah. anywhere but where i yeah. am yeah well and there was the town in Ar- in uh, oklahoma that remember they they there was a whole section of the town and they were like actually some of the early millionaires came from this town in oklahoma and they came in and dozed the entire town. Oh, you're talking about
3: downtown Tulsa? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the Tulsa, The. Well, they called them the race riots. They were the race expulsions. Was, they were yeah. labeled race riots at the time because they wanted to blame them on the not-white people. They went and killed,
1: like, hundreds and hundreds of people yes. and, and then tore down the whole town.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, there there are a lot of people right now who who say that retelling some of that history is part of an agenda. And I can understand how I can definitely feel that way if it's made— to feel like it's being lorded over you as a you-need-to-be-guilty thing, and that's the end of it. And I think it's really important to not push this as your responsibility is to feel guilty. The point is your responsibility is to be better than your past.
1: Absolutely, but playing like it either, A, didn't happen, uh, or even like the the tearing down of Civil War general statues, I think think that is wrong too because it's part of history. And you should know who those generals were and why they became who they were. And to say they didn't exist is doesn't change the fact that they existed. It's, it, the, history's got good stuff and bad stuff in it, but it's all part of history. Right.
3: You know, that's something interesting I've run across um, as part of this is the difference between monuments and memorials. So Civil War memorials are reverent remembrances of the dead. This is a tombstone. This is a quote. This is, this is something that is meant for quiet remembrance that is meant for the family, that is meant for here lies this person. Whereas a, a, uh, a monument is, is more of a let us look up to this person, right? Memorial is we are here to remember you. Monument is we, we still hold you in esteem. And that is, I think, one of the important differences we have to make. And this is the kind of nuance that you can't get in conversations about this kind of stuff, right? Because I think memorials are great, monuments not so much. Monuments, there's a place for them. There's museums. there's, There's people that are creating entire sculpture gardens that are just like, let's remember when we did this. Because it's also important to remember most of those didn't go up after the Civil War. They didn't go up as the Civil War just finished, we want to remember these people. They went up between 1923 and 1929... Uh, which is a whole issue unto itself.
1: Yeah. We're talking with Houston Hughes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. And uh, I want to get back to your book, uh, Hello Numbers. and uh, But I, I love your documentary idea, too, so we'll keep in touch on that. We'll be back.
0: No, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show brought to you by Southern security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards state farm insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: thank you very much. And welcome back on a hot Thursday afternoon. Um, a little bit better for the folks in Germantown because they're able to flush their pipes. And uh, we've been talking about that. Um, if you should have gotten an email, if you live in Germantown, how to do that to your home and get everything working again, I did have somebody on earlier, Tom Volanchek, who said that uh, you need uh, charcoal uh, uh, filters for your faucet you drink out of and, and you bathe in your shower. Wasn't sure if you'd get one for your bathtub, but uh, he said even if you're not smelling any kind of residue from the diesel in the water, you should get these filters because stuff can break loose later on. And it's just, he said if it was me, I'd get charcoal filters. So. Uh, check that out. Uh, With me in studio right now is a good friend, Houston Hughes, who lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and he's done a number of different cool projects, and one that he's just completed is Hello Numbers, uh, and it's teaching children a different way of learning about math, Uh, which I think the the whole concept is he had a professor that came to see him perform, and he does poetry, and he does entertainment, this guy really liked his concept of how he tells stories and, and the different visual effects that you used in telling your stories, magic and all kinds of different things, and had this idea about how to teach math and, uh, and a different concept. And so you sat down and you had there were two of you that he kind of charged with this uh, adventure. And uh, Houston came back with like page after page after page of ideas. And so when you first started coming back with, with concrete concepts and showing to the professor, when did you know that you're on the right track?
3: Man, uh, the whole reason I came back that first time with so many pages was that just lightning struck my brain. That's just anytime you're a creative and you get a prompt and you just go and your brain's just gone, you're like, yep, I, I know what's happening here. And that's, that's part of why you have to practice. Uh, practice your craft even when you are not inspired is so that when that time comes... It's You're ready. Like, yeah, yep, You're re- yep. Come on out of me. <laughs> um, so it it really early on was clear that it was working super well. And we, as I said, went through the numbers, decided on certain concepts that needed to go to certain numbers. We had other concepts that were like, well, any number above this one will work for that and tried to sort those out based on which numbers had had. More, or fewer things to say. Um, and we we came up with a pretty, pretty hardy draft that went up to I believe it was ten, I think the original draft was, and then we started sending that off to folks and uh, ended up with a publisher who, uh, because of the format of books and because of how much space you needed for illustrations, told us, well, we're gonna we need to stop at like somewhere between five and seven. And so we think you should stop at five and then have have uh, uh, some time to close out the book. And so we had to rethink about the entire book at that point and, and think, like, which concepts are important enough that if we only get this one book, it needs to go in this one, and which ones have to wait for the next, for later things. Yeah. Um, and then we were lucky enough for them to pair us up with illustrator Brian Rea, who does the Modern Love comic for the New York Times. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry, comic is. Is the wrong word? For, comic undersells what he does. It's it's <laughs> very very good illustrations. Yeah. Yes, um, and so the what he came back to us with was absolutely incredible, and it was also interesting because as we went through the different pages, uh, we we had to deal with not just things like okay, well you've given us uh, five sets of couplets for the number two. And we need there to be four for the pages to work out. So you've got to decide how to cut this down. And that's not just a matter of, okay, you you cut that last one. It's like, okay, well, now I have to take this concept and fit more concepts into fewer words. So how do I do that? Uh, And then also working with Brian Rea on the illustrations and making sure that the illustrations were his entirely, right? Because he's he's the creative on that end. He's the visual guy. We need to make sure he has his room to roam. But there were a couple of concepts that we were like, all right, th- this one, we, we have something that has to be shown. Um, but what we what ended up happening is reminiscent of some of my favorite children's books, like Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and, you know, all the Dr. Seuss stuff. Uh, and, and we're really happy with this final product.
1: Give us just a little sample of, like, an uh, example of what, the kids are going to be reading, and what grade level does this start at?
3: So that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I I think as soon as kids start reading, they are already start of learn sort of starting to learn to count. So for reading two kids, it's there, but this is higher concept stuff than they would be getting at that point. So it's either at that point if you're ready to talk to your kids about the concept and be like this this is going to be a little bit above your head, but let's push and I'll talk to you about it. Then, then it's great for that age. Otherwise, it's kind of a, if you're just past this, but you're ready to relearn those concepts or take them from the rote memorization into the visual.
1: When you first, did you do test uh, subjects and, and bring kids in to see if they were getting your concept?
3: Yeah, I was... Uh... I I was uh, with someone who uh, had a child and uh, I was helping to raise her at the time, and so she was my number one uh, respondent on this. I would read to her a section, and either she'd get excited about it, or if she was bored with it, I'd be like, "Well, no, back to the
1: drawing board." Back to the drawing board on that <laughs> one, um, and and then do different. It has to be like anything else. Some kids are going to get this a lot quicker than other kids.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And some adults, too. Yeah. Uh, I have found out from doing the terrible thing, which is reading your own Amazon reviews.
1: <laughs> don't ever read, read reviews, man. Yeah. I,
3: it. Uh, oh, God. I went through and read some of the Amazon reviews, and some of the people say it's great. Some of the people are like, it's a little bit higher concept than where the thing is. And I'm like, I can accept that. And then there was somebody who wrote pages just about, <laughs> like, this does not work out at all, and you don't understand this. And I'm just like, oh, Oh man, you just spent more time to review this kid's book without understanding it than I do on most things in my daily life. Like,
1: <laughs> well, and that's always going to be the case. It's, 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 there's always a few out there that no matter what you do, because they're called critical people and they're critical yeah. of everything, not just your project, but anything they see or hear. When um, you, it, now, too, in, in the, the creative process of getting in and getting with an illustrator, he had to understand what you were doing in order to come up with the illustrations. Yes. So was there a difficult time in finding an illustrator that got the concept?
3: Uh, We, the authors, did not have much say in that. We were able to pitch a few people as as kind of a stylistic, this is where we'd like to go, but the publisher already had a working relationship with with Brian. Um, So it was mostly on the back end. He would send us... Uh, sketches kind of the very first run sketches on it and for maybe about half of it we were like great fantastic and for the rest of it it was a okay this is going in the right direction let's talk through where this works and where it doesn't and for me I've worked with a lot of other creatives in different genres and so I I understand that there's this need not to tell you what you're doing wrong but to say like let me keep talking through what's happening in my brain until I hit something that inspires you. And so that was a lot of that process.
1: Well, I know because in working and doing filming and news, you have to be on that same level with a photographer. You have to sit there and say, here's what I'm seeing. You've got to see the same thing because I'm going to go over here and start setting up interviews, but this is where I'm going with this idea. And, and, but you find somebody the work well with and after a while you don't even have to tell them, say so here, we're going to do this. We're doing that thing, same like we did the other thing the other day. They go, okay, I know exactly what you mean. And you yeah. just go do it. Here, give us an example of five. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it, we'll,
3: we'll start. five. <laughs> Say hello, new one, and how do you do? I'll call you five if it's all right with you. With five in your mind, do your ones still connect? Do they play in a pattern, a cross, or an X? Do the rest build a square then make five wait outside, or does five join the end of a neat number line? Do your numbers group up, or do they separate? Just imagine the combos that five can create. If one pairs with two, but then three stays alone, maybe four goes with five, they're a pair of their own. Set them all in a circle with spaces between, then out from each one, draw the shape of a V, connecting across the numbers most far, do it five times, and you've made a star. Now imagine with me that your five-pointed star has suddenly stretched out incredibly far, with one, two, and three, going all the way right while four and five head left with all of their might? Maybe in your mind they stretch far enough that the star breaks apart and your numbers split up. One, two, three, make a triangle, one, two, a pair. Our friend five has vanished, but please don't be scared. Zoom your view out or your numbers back in, and the moment your brain groups them all up again, you've brought back four and five like a numbers magician. But that's no illusion.
1: It's just called addition. Wow. I mean, it's really, I, cause what you do is, you, I'm not looking at the book and I'm seeing it in my mind's eye when you said expand them out and uh, you could actually see them going out. So, do you, do you show them the pages while you're reading it or do you let their imagination do that? Do you want them to see it in their mind?
3: I, mm, I don't, I feel like that's up to the parent to kind of judge if their child is strong enough with visualization to start with their own image or if they need to see an example and then they can go off on their own. The ideal is that just the words are enough because I would hope my words are- Oh, and and they're great. I mean,
1: that's the, so the creative part about it is- But also these illustrations
3: are fantastic. And so, you know, different people learn different ways, different people, I personally am not super strong at visualization, right? So I may have had a problem if I had first just heard these words, but then I could have seen them and then taking these things, put them in my brain, and be like, okay, now I can toss them around and do sorts of different things with them.
1: Houston Hughes, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap things up and talk about where you can find this book, and uh, And I just think it's an amazing concept, and I think uh, you've done something great here, Houston. Well, thank you. All right, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. And welcome back on a hot Thursday afternoon. Houston Hughes has been in studio with me talking about all the creative things he's working on right now. Uh, do you have like a website or a Facebook page Houston?
3: Yeah. Houston Hughes.com.
1: Uh, go there and you'll see the different projects he's working on. He's a, uh, he's a poet. He's uh, he's an entertainer. He's a public speaker. He's an author of a children's mathematics book, and he's working on a documentary on a place called Harrison, Arkansas, which I think is fascinating. Uh, the, I think the whole thing with uh, creative people is is you look at the world in a totally different way than other people do. I mean, I used to, in fact, I would when I'd come up on a crime scene, I'd sit there and look, and I'd look around and say, what's different about this crime scene that nobody else is going to notice or talk about? And uh, and I would always find it. And somebody would say, well, your story's totally different than everybody else's, because they'd come there and say, the guy got shot five times. That's the story. And I'd go, yeah, but you see his shoe was halfway down the street. How did his shoe get down there? He shot five times here. And I would start off with a shoe. What was this shoe doing here? But that's how creative people think is that they don't think like everybody else and the successful ones never do. And it's, it's, it's and you find everything interesting. I mean, that's that your whole thing is you, you're curious about the world and yeah. everything is uh, fascinating to you. I guess the hardest part sometimes is just explaining your ideas to other people before you start uh, doing them and trying to get them to go, Oh, I get it. I now know where you go with that.
3: The hardest part is getting paid. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Yes, this this documentary, you know, I I'm doing entirely as a passion project, and I have put so much work into this. I have collected hundreds of hours of news footage. I've collected thousands of newspaper clippings going back to pre-Civil War, right? And just doing it all on my own because that's it takes putting together enough of the vision that you can go convince somebody else, hey, this is worth, this is worth a little bit of funding. This is worth five bucks a month from you or, or, you know, anything like that. And the same thing goes for the book. We, we, unfortunately with book releases, you know, they, they set things up on a schedule, a rolling schedule. And so once it's in that final, uh, Bit of the process and it goes to the printers. That's your book's done, and so you release it at that point. and And the book ended up releasing in the middle of COVID, and so that's <laughs> it was this weird dissonance of <laughs> I had put so much of myself into this, and I felt like this was my my big thing, right? I, New York Times illustrator, world renowned mathematician, and me. What in the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but but we put everything we had into this and then it drops in the middle of COVID yeah. and it's like a stone because no, nobody's no, doing no. book releases. Nobody's doing interviews. Nobody, nobody's doing interviews.
1: media wasn't covering anything. Nobody was doing book signings. And,
3: and one of the hard parts is like you can't let that stop you from creating more. You can't, no matter how poorly something that you make and that you love is received, whether it's because of something beyond your control like COVID or whether it's because people don't get it or don't enjoy it, Uh, you have to move on to the next thing.
1: Well, you do. And I was, was, there's this woman that uh, actually uh, designed the new Tom Lee Park. She's a Chicago architect and was designing all these incredible facilities in Chicago around the world. And they asked her, I said, how did you get so successful? And did you, did you plan on all this? She goes, no, I just did what I wanted to do. And it turned out to be successful, which is really what you got to do. You just got to do what you love doing. And in in the process, if you become successful at it, uh, that's good. Gr- that's great. But you still got to do what you want to do because you're not going to do something you don't want to do. You've done that before. We've all done stuff. I've said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And because it's nothing like getting up in the morning and going, I can't wait for this day to get going so I can go do what I do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I feel a lot of times on these scripts now that I work on both on the research. I mean, the day that I that I woke up and I was like, oh, today I get to drive to KU and dive into—oh, my goodness. So I was diving into—they have an archive of white supremacist material covering 1960 to 1990, and I needed to look at this stuff to find out background on these people for this documentary— And the average person, if you're like, that's what you have to do today, they're going to be like, that sounds awful. (laughs) And I woke up and I was like, I am ready for this. I need this research so much. And I'm so excited to learn new things and connect it to this bigger story. Because I think that's always what it has been for me is um, seeing things as larger systems and stories and hoping to be able to approach people who see whether it's math, whether it's the story of Arkansas and and it's racial past, whether it's civics and politics at a local level, being able to be like, okay, I can see how this might feel overwhelming. Let me do the overwhelming part. Let me learn as much of it as I can and try and process it and then come back to you and be like, okay, I've got a story to tell you.
1: And I can say it in a way that you'll be able to get it. Yeah. And I, which I think is great, especially your, your civics thing where you go and explain different propositions and who the candidates are because that's the biggest question mark anybody has in an election because you've got all the media telling you one thing, got the other media tell you another thing, everybody's lying about something. <laughs> and so how do you break it down and give them an honest and that's what I always try to do as a reporter. I'm going to give you both sides of the information as honestly as I can and then you figure it out because that's your job. And that is the way journalism used to work. Unfortunately now it's all polarized Houston, it was great having you in. Good luck on the book, and if you get another uh, launch of your children's book, Hello Numbers, well, let me know, and we'll put the word out again. Perfect. Well, thank and you for having me. Stay in touch. All right, that's it. Uh, we got Friday tomorrow, so we're looking forward to that. If you're in Germantown, you got water. Go take a shower, enjoy it. We'll see you tomorrow.